Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Victory Over Vices podcast brought to you commercial free by addictionhelp.com. I am your host, Dan Hauser, and today we are going to look at a story currently unfolding at Old Miss between a player, a coach, and a mental health crisis. Let's get right into the show. Alright, so for those of you who may not know what we're talking about, or for those who do and are just looking for a quick little refresh, here is a recap of the story. Uh, on September 14th, a story came out uh, about then old Miss, old Miss defensive tackle DeSanto Rollins. Rollins had recently just been kicked off the team by head coach Lane Kiffin. And so in this story that came out, we learned a little bit more about the reasoning exactly for why he got kicked off the team. Uh, and so... What happened was Rollins announced he was suing the school and Kiffin for failure to provide equal protection, racial and sexual discrimination, and a multitude of other allegations stemming from the fact that he believes that he was kicked off the team for taking a mental health break. Um, ex- we've learned since then that what happened was that he left the team for two weeks uh, during what he described as a mental health crisis. And so... Uh, there's been arguments back and forth of whether or not he uh, went about it properly, whether he told who he needed to tell it he was doing it, whether it communicated properly uh, during that process. But the lawsuit itself goes on to allege that Kiffin intentionally took adverse action against Rollins, quote unquote, on account of race for requesting and taking a mental health break, but not taking adverse action against white student athletes for the same request. It also alleges sexual discrimination on the basis that Old Miss has not taken adverse action against female student athletes for requesting and taking mental health uh, breaks as well. So like so many things in today's news cycle, the story came out, something else bigger happened, the story went away. Um, You know, especially in the college football world over these last few weeks, obviously there's been a no shortage of, of crazy stories, specifically involving Michigan, which whole separate podcast, whole separate time. However, uh, on November 9th, the story resurfaced. Thanks uh, to the website Front Office Sports and writer AJ Perez, who wrote the article on the 9th. Uh, Front Office Sports and AJ Perez uh, actually obtained uh, audio, an audio conversation, if you will, uh, between Kiffin and Rollins in Kiffin's office. Uh, And they released that audio in this article. Um. And in the audio, we hear the, the, the conversation uh, where Kiffin informs Rollins that he is being kicked off the team. So uh, in that, it's important note as well, just for transparency and just so both sides uh, get their stories out there. In that article on the 9th, um, Kiffin and the school, it was announced that Kiffin and the school had filed a motion to dismiss the lawsuit. Um In that motion to dismiss, it was shared that at a February 27th meeting, Rollins uh, alleged that that Kiffin was upset that he didn't enter the transfer portal after the 2022 season. He said he was being moved from his defensive tackle position to the scout team on the offensive line. And at that point, Rollins said he told Kiffin uh, that he was going to take a mental health break. Uh, Other uh, other information that was important that we learned uh, in that motion uh, defensive line coach Randall Joyner told Rollins to meet with Kiffin on March 1st. He did not. Uh, on March 7th, Joyce Nicholson, Old Miss's assistant athletic director for sports psychology, told Rollins to meet with Kiffin. He did not. 
And then finally on March 21st, that meeting finally took place uh, where that audio was obtained from. So when we come back, we are actually going to play a clip of that audio recording. And then I'm going to be joined by Dr. Harlan Austin, sports psychologist at Premier Sports Psychology, to get his thoughts on the clip, the story overall, and the state of mental health within sports right now. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back today. I am joined by Dr. Harlan Austin, sports psychologist at Premier Sports Psychology. Uh, Dr. Harlan Austin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Absolutely. So uh, before we kind of get into the meat of the show, if you'd like to just kind of tell the little bit, tell the audience, I should say a little bit about uh, yourself and what you all do there at Premier Sports Psychology. Sure, sure. So at Premier Sports Psychology, we are a firm that's focused on working with athletes and high performers. Uh, we have uh, predominantly trained sports psychologists on our staff. And so, you know, what that, that looks like is folks who are licensed as a psychologist. And in addition to that, have had training and certification in sport and performance psychology. And uh, we work with athletes um, from all levels, really from, you know, youth sport athletes who are really trying to pursue their dreams all the way up to professional level athletes who are trying to keep their dreams going at that level. And uh, we certainly have had a number of different teams and athletes that we've worked with through the years have success at, at all of those levels and certainly have enjoyed being a part of supporting that journey for them. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So uh, today uh, I wanted to have you on to talk a little bit about this situation currently happening uh, at Old Miss involving Lane Kiffin and one of his players uh, centered around a, a mental health crisis. So real quick, I'm going to play uh, the, the clip that I teased earlier that we were able to get from uh, the article that recently came out. And then uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. So let's just play the clip real quick and then we'll uh, we'll go from there. All right. If you would have come here when you kept getting messages, the head coach wants to talk to you and you saying, I'm not ready to talk to him. I wasn't. Well, what world do you live in? I don't see why you got to be disrespectful, honestly. Get out of here. Go. Go. You're off the team. You're done. See ya. See ya. Because I'm... See ya. Go. Go. And guess what? We can kick you off the team. So go read your rights about mental health. We can kick you off the team for not showing up. When the head coach has to meet with you and you don't show up for weeks, okay, we can remove you from the team. It's called being a It's called hiding behind and not showing up to work. All right. So after hearing that clip, um, your, your initial reaction, your initial thoughts to, to that clip and then, you know, kind of the story as a whole. Yeah. Well, I mean, I certainly, it's, it's hard to listen to uh, kind of, depending, it doesn't matter which perspective you're taking, right? If you're, if you're the coach, it's hard to listen to because I'm going to guess he didn't know he's being recorded. And if, if you're the student athlete, it's hard to listen to because certainly we heard some pretty, you know, uh, extreme language and it certainly didn't seem like there was a lot of empathy uh, coming from coach on, on that side of things. So really, I, I think uh, it's, a, it's a tough uh, situation for all involved to, to really be a part of. Yeah, so what's so interesting to me about not just that clip, but the story as a whole is for, for forever, I guess you could say, I mean, for, for decades and decades and decades, um, you know, mental health was just not something that was kind of dis discussed in sports. It was, it was kind of taboo, persona non grata. Mm -hmm. um, I would say over the last decade or so, 
feel like um, we, we've seen a, a shift in these athletes are are not afraid to come out anymore and say, hey, mental health is important. I need to be as focused on my, my mental health as I am, my physical health. Uh, Kevin Love, I feel like, was probably the first big name kind of superstar in the NBA to to kind of say, hey, guys, like, I'm not okay mentally, and, and I'm going to tell everyone about it. I'm, I'm tired of, of us, us dancing around this issue. Um, so we, we've come such a long way. And then to have this clip come out, it's, it's like, it's almost like every, everything we've done to progress forward, now we have gone and taken 10 steps back. And I understand this is an isolated clip. It's an isolated incident. But as far as where we've come and now, you know, this, this situation where do we, where do you see as far as places that still need to be improved when it comes to the way we view and accept mental health when it comes to sports? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right that we seem to have come a long way. And I think that there's truth to that, that, that there are resources available in ways that there never were before. Um, I mean, even in this situation, I mean, obviously, we don't, we don't know the whole story here, right? We're getting one little clip, one little snippet of it. Um, but but I know that there are great resources available at Ole Miss, right? Dr. Nicholson, sports psychologist there, is is tremendous at the work that she does. You know, she's got a great podcast herself that's all about advocacy for student athletes and athletes' mental health through the years. So resources are available in ways that they weren't always available. And I think that's one of the things that we can look at as a win or as growth that's happened in sport. If you look at any um, you know, major power five conference athletic department, they're going to have resources available. And even in the NFL and the NBA, um, the players associations and, and unions have advocated such that we have now requirements that you have a certain number of hours a week that there's mental health staff available to the athletes on those professional level teams. So resources being available is, I think, a great step in the right direction. The other side of that, though, is the concept of stigma that, that still echoes through our culture as a whole. And so having resources is, is, is step one. We have to be able to get people to help. Uh, but then when we're dealing with stigma, this is kind of the ongoing battle that's there because people who are in context in which mental health is stigmatized and looked at as a negative thing um, are less likely to seek out those services. And so an environment can do that, but sometimes people bring that themselves, right? People have their own self-stigma about the idea of where they grew up and the messages they heard and the culture that they were from might talk about mental health as it being something that's abnormal or problematic and not something that, that we believe in. And so somebody could come to the table, have resources available, but have enough internalized stigma that they were exposed to growing up in our culture here that they don't think that they should. And so it really creates this battle of how we talk about, how we think about mental health. Um, and certainly we're happy to have more and more resources available nowadays, but we are still battling that stigma piece where folks can know about it, but not want to engage in it. And, and I think that's something that we want to continue to work towards and, and really normalize seeking out mental health services, sports psychology services, which are not always the same, right? Some of them are more performance oriented. Others are more, you know, clinical diagnosis oriented. But to have that be a normal part of life where this is something I'm doing like exercise, right? Exercise to stay healthy. 
I address my mental health to stay healthy. You know, that, that's the ultimate goal that we can get to on par with self-care. And it's interesting too, because, and you mentioned the stigma of it, but like you could be the most gifted athlete on the history on, on, on earth. You could be sculpted from God to be able to, to perform your craft. But if you're not there mentally, or you're not, you're not mentally, you know, whatever it may be, if, if the mental side isn't there, the, the athletic gift that you have doesn't really do you any good. So, you know, we, we, they spend all this time perfecting their craft from a physical standpoint, but it, it seems like even today, even as we're getting better, the, the, the mental side of it, as far as the importance that, that goes into having to be mentally strong to be able to do it, isn't, isn't still there. And, it, and it's, it's just wild to me because, you know, if, if you hurt your ankle, you're going to go ahead and do your rehab, go to treatment, see your trainer or whatever. But yeah. for so many of these athletes, if they, if their quote unquote brain is hurting, they're not going to address it. And it's just, it's, I don't know, maybe you can just touch on it a little bit more, but it's just, it's kind of crazy where um, you need to have that mental ability in order to be able to make the most out of your athletic ability. But we're, as a, as a whole society, I think we're still not kind of thinking about it in that way. Yeah, I think it's it's developing slowly but surely, and and we have plenty of room for growth in that area. Um, the way that we we ideally see this is is it's integrated in the discussions about performance from the get go, and and that can come from an athletic department, it can come from uh, you know a, an organization like a coach, um, and and the idea is that that we we understand that there is a physical component to our sport performance. There's a technical component to our sport performance, and there's a mental component to our sport performance. And we want to train all three of those areas. And most historical programs were built very well to give strength training and, and physical rehabilitation and give technical instruction from coaches and, and technical critique, but there wasn't so much built in about the mental. And I think, Again, we're seeing more and more of that, but the best scenarios are ones in which you've got buy-in, right? You've got buy-in from that culture, whether that is that sports culture or overall an athletic department's culture, and that buy-in advocates for how this is a part of your goal pursuit, right? To be the best athlete you want to be, definitely want to take care of your physical, you want to take care of your technical, and you want to take care of your mental. And so the more and more that we can integrate that messaging from the top all the way down to the bottom, we can help battle that stigma and just help people normalize the fact that this is a part of what helps us pursue excellence in sport. Obviously, we don't know this young man personally, going back to the, the, the story of Holier. We don't know him personally. Mm -hmm. we, we, all we have is we have that clip. We know, we know information that has been reported uh, from both sides, from, from these stories that have come out. Uh, seemingly his need to take a mental health break came from being told that he was going to be moved from the defensive side of the ball onto offense. And he was going to be kind of demoted. If you could say, even within that to the scout team offense, um, many people listening, to this might say, okay, so they told me how to change positions and you know, whatnot, what's the big deal. Um, in the world of sports, I mean, is something as, benign is okay you're changing positions i mean is that something that could have an effect on an athlete to the point where they say okay i got to take a step back now and reevaluate or i've got to check out or i'm just going to go ahead and not 
know, disappear essentially for two weeks while I kind of get my head back on straight after being told uh, something like that? Well, I always like to say that we never know the full story, right? You're kind of making reference to the fact that we don't. And oftentimes in sport, um, you know, that's a component of somebody's life. And it's often a big component, but it's not all of somebody's life. And we have these kind of overlapping circles, like a Venn diagram that describe who we are as, as a person. And sport is often a very large part of that. But, you know, what we can see is when people are engaged in sport, there are often scenarios or situations in which we're tested, right? We're tested, we're measured, we're given a grade, we're told how good or how bad we're performing. And all of those opportunities for feedback can essentially compound other components of stress that might be existing in our life due to other reasons. And so they're, they're actively providing us with feedback in which, you know, hey, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. And most people, they'll have a negative self-talk voice that, that we walk around with that might say that. But in sport, somebody's saying it out loud to you. And, and it can often work as that straw that breaks the camel's back. If somebody's got a lot of other stuff going on in their life that's stress-related or mental health-related, and they're engaged in sport, and they're getting negative feedback in sport, it's like piling on negative feedback. There's enough, if somebody's experiencing anxiety or depression, there's enough negative self-talk inside that's already there. And then when we have additional coming from the outside or external kind of confirming that, it can be that straw that breaks the camel's back. And, you know, with athletes, we have this concept that I think is really valuable to understand. And it's the, the concept of an athletic identity. So, so all of us walk around with various identities and, and athletes have a very strong component of their identity that's their athletic identity. And so in sport, your athletic identity is built over years and years and years. And, and, and certainly it can be tied to a position in the sport that you play. And so if that's taken from you at division one, you know, SEC level school, I mean, this is a very high level of competition. If that's taken from somebody, then you've got a major part of their identity that's now been threatened or stolen. And, and, and that there's a loss that's associated with that. So certainly losing a position that you've and almost for your entire life been fighting to get could be a trigger for somebody's mental health. And, and again, we don't know everything else that's going on in anybody's life. And sports is just this in your face place where we're given direct feedback and, and people are measuring our performance and we get grades about how well we're doing. That can often be that, that push or that trigger to help somebody kind of tip over the scale of being okay to being not okay. So I've heard this argument a lot since the story came out, and I, I think it's something that is, is valid to an extent. Uh, obviously, there's two sides of every story. You could argue both sides of the story. Mm -hmm. um, we, we learned that, okay, uh, you know, Kiffin wanted to talk to him. He, 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 had a, he had his position coach reach out to him. He had Dr. Nicholson, as you mentioned, uh, reach out to him. Uh, both times, the, the, the player didn't go to talk to Kiffin about it. He kind of ignored the, those, those requests. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously from the standpoint of they, they did their due diligence from the standpoint of that initial reach out to try to talk to him uh, with no luck. Um, I think especially when, it, when we talk to high, about high school and college athletes, because at the end of the day, I mean, they're 16, 17, you know, 18, you know, they're still kids. They're still developing. They're still they might not even be fully understanding kind of what they're going through. So what is the responsibility of the quote unquote grown up in the room at that point? So in, in this case specifically, 
both of them reached out saying, Coach Kiffin wants to talk to you. It didn't go anywhere. He kind of ignored them and, and stayed his, you know. At that point, do they have to go so far as to basically start banging on his dorm room or banging on his apartment door? Or if he's not reaching back out, do they just say, okay, there's a reason for this and we need to let him just come to us on his own time? So I guess in a roundabout way, what, what is the responsibility of the adults there? And did they do everything, everything they could have done to try to remedy the situation? Sure. In, your, in your opinion, of course. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we have to throw out the caveat. We, that's what's reported. We don't know all the things yes, that actually, of course, yes, we don't know yes. all the communication that actually occurred. And so, you know, it's impossible for us to fully know all the steps that were taken. But, but I can kind of speak in general about like the steps that that we'd like to take at, at, at a university athletic department level. Certainly, are that we have resources available for student athletes that can help them if and when they're struggling, and that can look like. We have, you know, position coaches who have maybe a closer relationship than your, your head coach does with somebody because they're spending more time with them. Uh, you have a sports psych staff. You also might have mental health clinician staff. You sometimes have athletic counselors that are kind of helping with court work and whatnot. And so when a student athlete's struggling, you certainly want to try to provide them with multiple ways in which they can get support from different people. They, they may have different a comfort level with different people within an organization. And so you want to try to make sure that they have those folks around to help support them. And in addition to that, you want to have peer support, right? So we want to encourage a culture in which peers can help support somebody and provide them with assistance and help. Um, you know, with that, you've got to layer over this concept of uh, harm reduction and making sure that we're doing safety assessments, which I'm quite certain we're in place and that we're taking care of. Um, that, and this is where we start to go up to the line of the responsibility of an adult. So college student athletes, they are, they are, they're adolescents still. They're in their late adolescence, but they're adolescents. They don't have that fully developed frontal lobe and think like adults quite yet. They're working on it. And this is the, the hard part. This is the thing is that, that they, they are in a space in life where they're supposed to start to develop some of those skills to be more and more responsible for themselves. And so I think in this situation, given the limited information we have, uh, there were people there to provide support. They try to help provide support. And there's the autonomy that the individual also owns, right? This young man, as an adult, gets to make decisions to follow or not follow advice or support from other people. And if he chose not to do that, as a young adult, he's allowed to do that. Um, there's consequences to those behaviors, right? And this is one of those kind of learning experiences. There's choices and consequences in life. And uh, he has every right to, to not go meet with anyone he doesn't want to meet with, right? So long as he's not a threat to harm himself or other people, which uh, I, you know, we, we don't know any details of the situation, but I'm going to assume that was the case. So, so he doesn't have to be forced into anything. But again, this is one of those life learning lessons. There's choices and consequences associated with that. And Certainly, from a coaching perspective, I think that's the the frustration we heard in the coach's voice about recognizing, hey, you know, I, I'm if I ask somebody to meet with you, I'm used to them coming and meeting with me, and so when when somebody doesn't follow those protocols, that's a surprise and a shock to them. Uh, but the reality is, people don't go to meetings all over the world all over the time, uh, and there's consequences when that happens too. And so, it's it's you know, you hate to see an outcome in which the uh, the student athlete, and, and if the student athlete was dealing with some mental health issues or needed a mental break and, and, and wasn't able to communicate that the appropriate way to get the time that he needed, 
um, you know, you hate to see that kind of an outcome occur. And, and I'm sure that the system is doing whatever it can to try to help make sure that they fill in any potential gaps that were there, um, if that was the case. But again, you know, there's support there. And it's quite possible that despite the support being there, the student athlete was just not ready and didn't want to communicate that they needed more time. And by not being able to communicate that to the right people, the information didn't get to the right people. And so coaches just kind of left, uh, you know, out in the air. And, and this is where it gets complex within a system, right? Because athletes want to have confidentiality when they're seeking support from a mental health provider. And they may say, look, I don't, I want to tell you what's going on, but I don't want you to talk at all to coach, right? And so, you know, the provider has to honor that. And, um, and, and that can be frustrating for folks within a system when that happens. And, and so it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenging dynamic to kind of thread the needle when you're working in the mental health side within one of those systems. So I want to I wanna kind of look at this from Coach Kiffin's side for a second, because I think it's only <laughs> fair that we address it from both sides. Because while the tone, I think we can all agree the tone was not good, the cursing was Smart. not good, the way he <laughs> went about it was not ideal. I think within that, and unfortunately, it's being lost because of the way he spoke. But there are, I think, some valid points that he <laughs> inadvertently, well, that he, he brought up. But unfortunately, he just didn't go about it in the right way. Um, you know, yes, it's all the powers to be within time college athletics would still like you to believe that these are student athletes, student athletes, that they are not, you know, uh, uh, it's not their job. They're not employees, whatnot. But let's face it, especially in the SEC right now. If you are a SEC college football player, that's basically your, that's why you are at school. It, it is your profession before your profession, so to say. So from that standpoint, I think for anyone listening, for you and I, if we just disappeared for two weeks and did not tell anyone why we were doing that or what was going on or kept in touch with someone, we I'm, I don't want to go so far to say we would lose our jobs. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that would lose their jobs. There are some people that may not necessarily lose their jobs, but there'd be repercussions for it, whether... They were docked pay, uh, they were demoted, maybe they were up for a promotion that now they're no longer up for. There's going to be some sort of consequence. So from that standpoint, yes, I can understand where he's saying, you know, because college, for everyone, college is a way to help prepare you for life. And like you mentioned, there are life lessons that you're going to learn from that. And especially sports. Sports is a great way to also prepare you for life. And there are life lessons in there. Unfortunately, um, this was a life lesson that this, this gentleman had to learn uh, the hard way as far as the lack of communication there now whether he, we don't know as well too had he communicated would he still be on the team or would he still be kicked off the team and it still wouldn't have mattered but beyond just that um you know and you mentioned it too he is a, i believe i looked up he's 21 years old he is a college kid I think all of us would agree that when we were 21 there were probably stuff that we were doing where we weren't really thinking about consequences before yeah. we were doing it or we weren't even development stage or the mind frame where we could even comprehend or understand the potential consequences that could be yeah. involved with our actions. I, you know, that's safe to say for any college student, but when you break it down to its core, so when you break it down to its core, it's a 21 year old kid. He made a decision. Um, he was going through a mental health you know, issue. I preface this by saying to our knowledge, to our knowledge, uh, he didn't try to hurt himself to our knowledge. He didn't try to hurt somebody else. To our knowledge, he didn't go on a bender or do anything else dangerous or take a bunch of substances and OD on him. Like he just basically 
disappeared for two weeks. He, 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 he just did not come to practice for those two weeks. Um, Coach Kiffin had his every right to, to relay that information to the gentleman and say, hey, listen, like in, in life, you, you can't just do this. You, there are consequences. Um, this might sound like a dumb question because I think we already answered it, but how better Coach have handled that conversation? Uh, if, let's put it this way. If Coach could now, after hearing that audio, go back and, and do it all over again, Mm-hmm. What's a better way that he can handle getting the point across of saying, yeah, you can't just disappear for two weeks, but not do it in a berating fashion where it might have actually uh, uh, resulted in more mental anguish for the player in that spot? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure he, he wishes he, he could get that one back for sure. And, you know, the, the thing that I noticed, though, is the reason why he was animated is because he cares. If coach didn't care, he wouldn't have had the amount of emotion attached to that. You could tell he felt he was feeling he was upset. Well, he wouldn't be upset if he didn't care. And and like I said, I, I think if he could have it back, I think he would probably choose different words to communicate that he cared. Uh, but, you know, the head football coach in the SEC is is running. It's like a CEO of a corporation. And it is filled with so many decisions every single minute of every single day that, that's having to, to be, yes, no, let's do this, let's do that. Um, it's a very taxing and difficult job. And, and you know, Coach Kippen has been in taxing and difficult jobs for years and years now and, and certainly has the ability to, to succeed and, and excel in doing that kind of thing. But when anyone is doing that much work and making th- those, you know, important decisions so often, uh, we only have so much capacity and patience there. And, and, and I think, you know, for coaches, I think, you know, another way for us to look at this is, is to look at it through the lens of coaches are asked to do a lot and try to coordinate a lot. And certainly the more support that they can get to be able to not have that stress level get so high so that a situation like this, you know, their intense emotion about caring for the well-being and of the athlete, of the team, of, of all involved spills out in a way that that was kind of just filled with you know negativity rather than the other emotion that I'm sure was appealing this is the fact that he cared and um I think that that everyone involved in these high performing organizations can benefit from getting the right kind of support in place for them so that they feel like they're equipped each day to show up the way they want to show up um at every moment and and again you know everyone can't bat a thousand and, and hit every moment out of the park and be perfect. And, and I think that's just what we saw, or, you know, again, without all the information we don't know in this moment, I think coach would have liked to have it back and probably said things a little bit differently. Uh, but I go back to, I, I think it's because he cared that, that there was emotion attached to it. And, you know, that that's something that we want from our coaches. We want them to care about the athletes. Uh, you know, if, if there was zero care whatsoever, he wouldn't even have the meeting. So if this player had had an ankle injury, knee injury, a physical injury of some sort, you know, he, he would have been expected and likely done so because it's just, you know, it's what you do. He would have been at the facility every day. He would have been meeting with trainers, going through rehab, uh, participating in meetings, you know, doing everything outside of actually physically practicing. Uh, and that's just kind of something that is expected in sports. You're hurt, you rehab, you still show up every day. You, you know, for the most part, obviously, if it's an extreme injury and you can't get there, then, you know, 
certain things are certain things are done. But for the most part, you're there, you're still participating in everything, you're doing what you can, given your limitation, but you're still kind of there in the moment and doing everything you're doing. Um, obviously, coach felt that even though he was struggling mentally, it, it should have been gone about the same way. He still should have, even if he wasn't there every day, he should have been checking in. He should have been uh, coming when he can to meetings and practices. And, and just, so he didn't just completely disappear. Um, in your opinion, if an athlete is going through a mental health struggle like that, what is the responsibility of the athlete, whether it is checking in with the coach every day on the phone, still coming to the facility every day, but maybe not being as active of a participant uh, as you normally would be just so he's he's there and being seen? Um, or is it just, I'm going to go away for a while and I'll come back when I can come back? What's the responsibility of the athlete there as well? Well, I mean, there's actually really clear protocols at NCAA institutions about what it looks like to be able to get a, a leave of absence, a medical leave of absence, right? And, and in this situation, um, somebody can qualify for mental health or, you know, slash medical leave of absence during which they don't have to go to anything. And, and these are things that are, there, that there's steps that can be taken and things that can be done to provide somebody with that ability to, to not show up, to not have to report, to, to take care of themselves, take care of their mental health or physical health, whatever that may be. And I, I don't know in this situation if those things were in place or not. Um, my guess, just based on the very limited information we have, is that it wasn't. Because I think in a situation like that, then the head coach would be on their radar that the person's on an official medical leave. But again, we don't know the specific details of that. But, but I do know that there is a protocol in place through the NCAA at universities for students to be able to do so. And that's for all students, student athletes and, and regular students involved. And so um, if those steps are taken, then somebody is, they're protected, so to speak, in that window of time, whatever that agreed upon window of time is, to be able to take care of themselves. Um, if somebody were not to take those steps, right, to not talk to the right people, to get the right signatures, to get the right paperwork filled out, which, you know, it does take effort to do those things, right? Which is a challenge for somebody who's already struggling with a mental health issue. But if, if they do those, they can have permission, so to speak. And if they don't do those, I think it leaves people on the outside um, wondering what's going on. And, and it, you know, may or may not have been the case here, but there certainly are um, set up protocols for folks to take through the NCAA to, to get permission to fully focus on themselves. All right. One, one last question. We'll get you out on this. Um, just to kind of recap and summarize the story as a whole, for those out there that may be listening, um, maybe they're going through something similar on their end. Maybe they know somebody who's going through something similar uh, on that. End, and, and they just, whether it is in sport or in life, just overall, um, and they, they just need a mental break is, is what it really comes out. Because I think all of us at some point through our lives, there's days where we're just, I just can't do this today. Uh, what, what advice would you, would you give in that, in that spot, whether, you know, specifically in, in the, in the world of sports, but also just kind of in life? Um, um, what advice would you give somebody who's just saying, I, you know, maybe they wake up one morning and they're like, I just don't know if I can do this today, whether it's something as just simple as going through the normal work day, or they've got to go to practice or they've got to go to the gym because they've got a game coming up. What, what, uh, what, what would your advice be to somebody who, who may just be like, you know, going through it? Mm -hmm. I think the, the most important thing to hear is that you're not alone. 
because that's often what people feel and believe and a hundred percent believe, but, but the reality is you're not alone, right? There are people out there that can help. There are people out there who have training experience and have been there and done that with other folks to help them. There are people out there who've maybe themselves been there, experienced it and done that. But there's lots of different ways in which we can get support from others. But I think that's the most important thing is that none of us can do it on our own, right? We all need support and there is support out there. And reaching out is often the hardest step. Once you do that, you open up the opportunity to get the support because there are folks out there that can help. And we are not alone, but I know that in those dark times, it often feels like that. And so that's the most important message I would share is to let folks know that you're not alone. There are people out there that can help. Um, and you gotta, you gotta make that first step of asking. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Thank you so much to Dr. Harlan Austin for joining me today. Uh, as always, if you like what you heard, please continue to share uh, with your friends, family, everyone else out there. Please continue to like, subscribe, rate, and review, uh, whether it is on YouTube if you're watching us, uh, on Spotify if you're listening to us, or wherever else you may get your podcast. Please continue uh, to show us that love and support that you guys have been doing up to this point, and we can't thank you enough for that. Um, with today's topic uh, on mental health and mental health crisis, you know, we, we, we like to mention at the end of every show, but uh, if you or anyone you know is struggling, please, please, please uh, go seek the help that you or they need. Uh, it is okay not to be okay, as we learned from today's episode, but it's also important that if you are not okay, you go about it the proper way and you get the proper help that you need so that you can get better and feel better. Because obviously we all want to be out there uh, living our best lives every day, whether it's on the field or off the field. So um Go ahead and check out addictionhelp.com if you'd like more information on today's topic or any other topics pertaining to mental health, addiction, and addiction recovery. Or also, if you're looking for more information on how to uh, get started with that process of getting the help that you or a loved one may need, uh, addictionhelp.com has great resource pages for all sorts of information, like I mentioned, whether it's about addiction, mental health, addiction recovery, certain substance, substances of abuse, or even uh, information as far as how to get the help that you need today. So that'll do it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. We will talk to you next time. Have a great week, everybody.